Two friends were walking through a field one day when suddenly they saw a bull that was charging at them. It was apparent that they were not going to be fast enough to outrun the bull, and so one of the friends said to the other, say a prayer, we're not going to make it. To which the other friend said, I've never said a prayer in my life, I don't even know what to even say. And the other friend said, just, just say anything that comes to your mind. So the friend thought, and as he was running, he's like, I'll say the prayer that my father used to say at the table, to which he said out loud, Oh Lord, for what we're about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> On this Thanksgiving weekend, there is so much to be thankful for, isn't there? Count your blessings, name them one by one, see what God hath done. James 1.17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above. The blessings and the good things that we experience in life are an expression of God's kindness and His love towards us. And especially on this Thanksgiving weekend, but all days, having an attitude of gratitude, remembering God's faithfulness and His blessings and what He has done for us, is important. Because in times of difficulty, hardships, and sufferings, too often we become cynical and we forget what God hath done. You see, having an attitude of thankfulness helps us to reshift our focus onto God, His ability, His character, rather than dwell on the problems that we have or what we don't have. There's a phrase that we say in church that goes something like this. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And that phrase begs the question, is God's goodness based upon Him meeting our expectations? Is God's goodness based upon us receiving His blessings? Or is God good because that's who He is? God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. It's part of who he is. God is good. And in all seasons of life, Psalm 136 reminds us to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. Today's week three of our sermon series, and we're seeking God for a breakthrough by thanking God. How breakthroughs are sometimes connected to trusting and praising God in all seasons of life, but especially the hard and the difficult times of life. We're going to be looking at a biblical story where we see this lived out in real life. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 16, but to give some context on what's going on here, Paul and Silas are in Philippi, which is modern-day Greece. They are missionaries, and they are telling other people about Jesus. On their missionary journey, they encounter a girl who is a slave, and she is possessed by an evil spirit. And this evil spirit is predicting the future. Whatever she says comes true. 
Now she is a slave girl, and her owners are taking advantage of her ability. They are making a profit on her prophesying on what's going to come true in the future. Now as Paul and Silas are in modern-day Greece at this time, telling other people about Jesus, this slave girl is following them, and she's becoming a big distraction to them telling people about Jesus. And Scripture says that Paul became so troubled in his spirit that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And just like that, the evil spirit left the girl and she was free from that evil possession. Now, the owners of the slave girl were pretty upset and ticked off at Paul and Silas. Why? Because they just lost their source of income. And so they thought, we're going to do something about this. We're going to punish Paul and Silas. And so they took Paul and Silas to the authorities to punish them. As they're standing in front of the authorities, they're receiving false accusations. They have no chance to defend themselves, and the authorities lay down the law. They are stripped and beaten. They are wrongfully mistreated, and they are thrown in prison and left to die. So, that's what's going on here. Welcome to Thanksgiving weekend. So, they're thrown into prison, and in our passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 16, we're going to pick up in verse 25, and we're going to notice how Paul and Silas respond. Verse 25 says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains became loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your entire household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Why? Because he had come to believe in God in his entire household. When I think about this whole experience, it makes me evaluate and think about my own life that when I go through hard and difficult times, what's my initial response? What's my initial response to things that come out of left field that I wasn't expecting? Maybe God doesn't meet an expectation that I have. I was praying and God didn't answer like how I thought he would. Am I quick to <clears throat> anger and blame God? Or am I quick to pray and to praise God during times of uncertainty and hardships? 
Now, I'm not trying to minimize what we go through because I recognize that pain and suffering is difficult and it's real. But when we look at this passage of Scripture, these godly men were beaten within an inch of their life. And their first response is to pray and praise God, to worship, express their trust in Him. And I think we can learn something from their example. Despite Paul and Silas's best efforts to be faithful followers of Jesus, it's clear in our passage of Scripture and for us today, which is our first point, which is this. Christians are not exempt from suffering. Christians are not exempt from hard times. Jerry Bridges, he's a Christian author, and he wisely said this, that God never allows pain without a purpose. God never allows pain without a purpose. And there's this false idea that when we become a Christian or when we go to church that no pain, no difficulty will come our way. It'll just be like walking on roses. And that's what life is going to be like. But in fact, Jesus forewarned and told us the exact opposite. One time when his disciples were going through a very difficult time, he told them in John 16, that in this world, you will have trouble. And when you understand this word trouble, it comes from the Greek word thlipsis, which means oppression and suffering. Jesus is communicating to his disciples and for us here today that people may mistreat you. People may say things that are less than kind. People may not have all the facts and make up their mind like that and cast you aside. And that's not right. All four associating with Jesus. All four being a Christian. Keep in mind, though, that when Jesus makes this statement, Jesus speaks from experience. Jesus speaks from experience. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. You see, the difficulties that Jesus and we experience are real, they're physical, they're spiritual, and they're emotional. And when Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, it helps us understand that being forewarned is forearmed. Being forewarned is forearmed. To not be caught off guard when things like this do happen. Because Jesus said, it will happen. Now remember, you know, Paul and Silas, they had just casted out a demon. You'd think that uh, the owners and everyone else around would be so ecstatic and they would begin to praise God and thank them and really listen to what Paul and Silas were talking about. But we see that there is no rejoicing. There's no praising. There's anger, bitterness, resentment against Paul and Silas. And the owners become focused on the loss rather than what God just miraculously did. Their focus is on the loss, what they just lost. They lost their source of income rather than they can't see what God had just done. 
And I'm here to tell you that sometimes those who hurt us most are too focused on what they've lost rather than they can't see what God might be doing in those moments. It's clear in our passage of Scripture that Paul and Silas experienced severe suffering, suffering that many of us will probably never experience. But just to be clear, Paul and Silas are stripped and beaten. They are severely flogged. They are thrown into prison, and they fastened their feet in stocks. They're stripped of their clothes to shame them in front of the public square. They're beaten, they're broken bones, cuts, bruises, blood. They're thrown into prison, the inner cell where the most dangerous of criminals go. And they're fastened their feet in chains to increase pain and discomfort. This is pretty gruesome stuff. This is extreme, heavy suffering. But Jesus promised something else. When he said, in this world you will have trouble, the latter part he said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. What we presently see and experience, it may be true, it may be painful, but it's temporary. It's not the final result. There is a breakthrough in the future worth pressing on to. Jesus says, take heart. It refers to how God empowers the believer with his strength to persevere through really hard and difficult times in life. And notice what Jesus said. He said, I have overcome the world. Jesus has declared that there already is victory before he even went to the cross. Jesus is speaking words of comfort to his disciples and to us here today, that despite the, strugg despite the struggles we face, we're not alone. If we can remember that the ultimate victory has already been won, though the battle is still ongoing, we can thank and praise God in the most troubling of times. Because God has already won. God has already won. Hard times come, but they don't surprise God. God's still in control, and he has a plan. So again, remember, Paul and Silas were telling other people about Jesus. They were doing exactly what they were commissioned to do. They were godly men who loved and trusted Jesus, strongly believed in the love, the forgiveness, the grace, and the redemptive power of Jesus. And when you initially look at this story, maybe you might have a thought that goes something like this. How could God allow Paul and Silas to go through this suffering? Does God even care? Could God have protected them from being mistreated Lied about? Misjudged? Yeah, God could have. But the point is, is that this is either part of God's plan, or God has the ability to use their suffering and turn it around for good. Now, just to be clear, God didn't cause 
this suffering, but he allowed it to happen for a greater purpose. Now, when you think about that, it's comforting to know that first and foremost, God plays by the same rules that we do. How so? Well, God saw his beloved son, Jesus, be tortured, crucified, and suffered on the cross, and God did not intervene. Why? So that a greater purpose could be achieved, the salvation of souls. A greater purpose. God did not intervene because he was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus trusted that even though God did not intervene, he had a plan. You see, God's plan has always been about the big picture, the long-range plan, people's eternal destination. Will people either be spending eternity with God or eternity separated from God? During the journey, God may allow us to go through hard and difficult times, but the purpose is to strengthen us, to mature us, and most often use our difficulty to help other people come to know Jesus. Most often, use our difficulty to help other people come to know Jesus. And here's the tension. The tension between God does have the ability to protect and rescue, but sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. Sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. And so at some point we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to persevere, trust, and thank God, even in the difficult times of life, if he can use it to help another person? Are we willing to persevere, trust, and thank God, even during the hard and the difficult times when we feel like giving up, are we willing to look to God to trust Him if He could use our suffering to help other people? The only explanation I have for this is Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 55, 8-9, to which God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It helps us understand that God sees things from an entirely different perspective than we do. God not only sees the present, but he sees the past, and he also sees the future. God's perspective is more complete than ours. And because he can, we can trust that God has a good plan even in our suffering. God has a good plan. We can trust him, even in times of difficulty. Some of you may know this name, and you may know this gentleman. His name is Nick Vujicic. He is a man born without arms or legs 
and there is no medical reason as to why. He's very honest and when he shares this, but when he was younger, he suffered through a lot of depression. And he suffered through, why am I different? What's my purpose in life? It wasn't until he accepted Jesus into his life that he credits his faith in God to the, uh, to the victory over the struggles that he previously had in his life. And in 2005, he started his own nonprofit ministry called Life Without Limbs. <laughs> Little play on of words there. And he seeks to tell other people about Jesus. He's been to over 70 countries, stadiums, churches, whatever, just telling people about Jesus. And recently he was interviewed on TV. And, he ha- and, and this is what he had to say about suffering and God's plan for his life. Let's watch. Age 15, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Amen. After oh. reading John chapter 9, a man was born blind. They asked Jesus why. Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. So I realized I didn't need to know God's plan. I just needed to trust that he had one. At age 17. Forgive me here. This is just, okay. It's a Twitter world worthy of... Say that one more time. Which part? That, that, that line about God's plan. You did not need to know oh, God's plan. So I don't need to know the blueprint of God's plan. I just had to trust that he had one. And so because if, if we know the plans of God, then why do we need faith? It's not about us trying to work out his plan. It's about walking by faith. That's where he wants us. That's the chair he wants us to cling on. Not the chair of just suffering for the sake of suffering, but in that time of suffering, that you do trust in your heavenly Father, that he'll carry you when you cannot walk. He said it's not about us trying to work out God's plan. It's about walking by faith, trusting God. And during times of suffering, we trust that God has a plan and he'll carry us when we cannot walk. If you're a Christian here today and you're going through some painful days, I'm here to tell you, don't let Satan deceive you into thinking that you're alone, God doesn't exist, or you're a lesser Christian because you're suffering. Pain is part of the journey that we cannot avoid. But the hope is this. The hope is that God has the ability to use our sufferings for good, and he's still worthy of our praise. For the Christian, it's the mature belief that God has the ability to use our suffering for good. And because he can, he's still worthy of my praise. And he's still worthy of my trust. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Most people forget the context of this verse. Almost every word that precedes that passage of Scripture talks about negative things. Sufferings, frustration, bondage, decay, pains, weaknesses. The promise of God to bring good out of bad specifically applies to the really bad, harmful, hurtful times of life. So don't discredit God because you don't fully understand what he's doing, his plan, 
or He doesn't meet an expectation that you have. It can be so easy to pull away from God, and that's what Satan wants. Rather, when we don't understand, draw near to God. Because the assurance and the promise of James 4.18 is that when we draw near to God, God will draw near to you. When we make that effort to really seek the Lord, we can be confident of Scripture that God will draw near to you. We can trust God because He sees things from an entirely different perspective than we do. He invites us to be patient, to be willing to listen, trust, and follow His leading, even when we don't fully understand what God is doing. Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. I've often heard it said, it's not that our perspective is wrong, it's that our perspective is not complete yet. God's not done. And He has a good plan. It's almost impossible to find godly people in the Bible who didn't go through terrible seasons of sadness, pain, and frustrations. But Ecclesiastes reminds us that for everything, there's a season. It's a season. A time to weep, but also a time to laugh. And in all seasons of life, God's grace is sufficient to enable us to endure, trust, and thank God. Despite Paul and Silas's severe suffering, it's interesting how they respond, which brings us to our second point, which is this. Praise God in the midst of suffering. You see, the true test of our commitment to God is not when we're on the mountaintop, but when we're in the valley. That's our true test of our commitment to Jesus. Will we still praise and trust God even when we don't feel like it? The Apostle Paul reminds us and encourages us to praise and trust God. In Philippians 4.4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. To be glad. To celebrate God's goodness, His grace, His love, what He's done for us on the cross. In the Lord always indicates the object, the one of whom we are rejoicing towards. It's to God. And Paul is not saying in this, in this scripture passage, Paul is not saying, cheer up, buttercup. That's not what he's communicating here. But he's trying to help us understand that we experience God's peace when we shift our focus off of our problems and onto praying and praising and thanking God, rather than complain in or about our situations. And Paul repeats the command when he says, I'll say it again rejoice. In case there are those who reject that hard times and rejoicing in God is not appropriate. In fact, Paul is communicating, actually, in hard times, that's the most appropriate time to rejoice and to pray and to trust God. If we want to overcome stress, pray, praise, trust God, and you'll experience God's peace. Notice how Paul and Silas respond in our passage of Scripture. They were praying and singing hymns to God. When I looked at the Greek, and just to understand a little bit more of the context, when they were praying, this was a worshipful prayer. 
this was not a prayer of just dumping on the Lord. What's wrong about this person? What's wrong about the job? What's wrong about the gas? What's wrong about the roads? What's wrong about yada, yada, yada? Fill it all in. This is not one of those types of prayers. But this is a prayer that is acknowledging who God is. God is powerful. God is mighty. God is loving. God is faithful. God is kind. God is love. They are feeding their faith, starving their doubts, reminding themselves of who God is because God cannot deny himself. And they're singing hymns to God. They're celebrating. They're, they're thanking God. Maybe, maybe hymns, you know, oh, great is thy faithfulness, or Jesus, he's the name above all names. And instead of focusing on and talking negatively about their sufferings and in their bondage and what they're going through, they focus their words on positive things of who God is. And I came across this quote, and it went something like this. Our words have power. They impact others, but they also impact us. There's power when we speak out the name of Jesus. And as we speak uplifting words like praying and singing, it helps us get our eyes off of our problems, and we begin to see a different perspective. And maybe it helps to minimize stress. And maybe for some of us, we need to shift our words from constantly talking negative about our situations, always blaming, always just, you know, I'm sure you should get the point I'm trying to make here. Always talking about what's wrong, how bad life is. Maybe we need to shift our words to intentionally praise and to thank God in the hard times. And I'd be curious to know if you experience a little bit more peace. It may be a different perspective that God can be trusted and he can do a good thing during this time. Isaiah 61.3 says, God wants to give us a garment of praise rather than a spirit of despair. God wants to give us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And as we reshift our focus from what is wrong to the goodness of God, we begin to experience a breakthrough in our life. When we begin to panic, we pray. When we begin to worry, we worship. And how easy it would have been for Paul and Silas to complain or to walk away from God. The classic example is by a man named Job. And if you don't know who Job is, he experienced severe suffering. He lost everything he had. And his wise spouse encouraged him to curse God and die. Great advice. Thankfully, Job had a stronger relationship with the Lord. And instead of cursing God and dying, he refused that advice. And he remained faithful to trust God. Pray, praise, trust God. Pray, praise, trust God. And later on in his life, Scripture is very clear that the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he previously had. Why? Because he prayed, praised, and trusted God.
God. You see, I think we can learn something from Paul and Silas's example. And it reminds us that our circumstances don't have to impact our attitude. But when we choose to give thanks to God, it actually impacts how we view and respond to our circumstances. When we choose to intentionally pray and praise God, it impacts actually how we view and respond to our circumstances. How so? Well, Scripture is very clear that when Paul and Silas were praising God, Scripture says, and the other prisoners were listening. And the other prisoners were listening. This wasn't passive listening, but it was intently they took notice of how Paul and Silas were responding. Their listening implied that Paul and Silas's words had an impact on them. Paul and Silas chose to speak well of God rather than just curse God and die. And if you look at this from a different example, what impact would it have had if Paul and Silas cursed God instead of praying and praising God? What impact would that have had on the unbelievers who were listening to Paul and Silas? And it's important to note that they were not praying and singing after God intervened through the miracle, but they were praying and singing before God intervened. And that's the point, which is this. Praising God is not a reward that we give Him based upon what He does for us, Rather, praising God gives honor to God for who He is and continues regardless of our situations. Praising God is not a reward. We give Him thanks, God, for the blessing. I'm going to go to church now and praise you. God, you didn't come through. I'm going to stay home and not do nothing. <laughs> no. Praising God gives honor to God for who He is. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is worthy of our praise. And no matter if I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley, I'm going to sing and to praise and thank God regardless of what's going on in my life because He is worthy and good. I'm aware of somebody who recently has been uh, diagnosed with cancer. And instead of uh, withdrawing from God, I've actually seen how they have drawn near to God and continued to praise Him. It's an encouragement to my spirit and actually a challenge for me to worship God through every season of life. When I look at them, they're an example of what it means to draw near to God and to offer God a sacrifice of praise. Despite their diagnosis, it has not hindered them from praising and thanking God in the difficult times of life. So, how do we apply this to our life? Hebrews 13, 15 says, continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. It's easy to praise God during the good times in life. This worship, it honors God, but it doesn't require a sacrifice. Other times, God doesn't meet our expectations. God doesn't come through like we had hoped he would. And if we're being honest, I'll be honest, rejoicing in the Lord is one of the last things we want to do. Continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice is, God didn't come through like I had hoped. 
but I'm still going to pursue him. I'm still going to trust him that he has a good plan. If you want a breakthrough in your life, focus on worshiping God, drawing near to him, praising, praying, and trusting in God, that God is still good. He's still worthy of my praise because that kind of worship requires a sacrifice. That kind of worship requires a sacrifice. So what are you focusing on lately? Is there a challenge in your life that's become pretty difficult? I'm sure you know, know this, but what we focus on becomes big in our life. Continual and ongoing focus on the problem brings big stress. Continual and on, ongoing focus on God brings big peace. Isaiah 26.3 reminds us of this. You, Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you, who trust and look to God. God will keep in perfect peace. Corrie ten Boom, you probably know her. A Dutch lady, she was arrested by the secret police by Nazi Germany in World War II. And during a time of great pain and discomfort and problems, this is what she had to say. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Okay, last and final point here. This is the good stuff. This is where we see the breakthrough happen. Third and final point is this. We can trust a miracle-working God. In the past, God has shut the mouth of, li- mouth of lions to not eat a man named Daniel. God has parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk across on dry ground. God has protected three boys in a fiery furnace who were standing up for God, who came out without smelling of smoke. I have a family member who was saved from drowning and said out loud, God, if you have a plan for my life other than for me to die, other than for me to die here, I need you to save me. Just like that, God saved them. There's no explanation for it. God came through in a miraculous way. And there are times that God comes through, and other times, God does not. When God comes through, it strengthens our faith and our trust in Him. When God doesn't come through like we had hoped, we walk away. No. The mature Christian believes that God has something better in store that is worth waiting for. And you see, I don't fully understand why God does what he does. And I can't help but think if I knew all the reasons why Nick Vujicic said this, there wouldn't be any need of faith. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, do I trust God more than I trust my own understanding? Maybe we need to give God credit that he knows things we do not. Give God credit that he knows things we do not. The point is, we replace our lack of understanding, our emotional pain, with reminding ourselves who God is and what He is able to do. Feed your faith. Starve your doubts. In our passage of Scripture, we see an incredible miracle happen. In verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open. And everybody's chains became loose. They dropped. They were gone. They were no longer chained. This was no ordinary earthquake. It was highly selective. Only the prison doors opened, and only the chains became loose, which helps us understand 
What didn't happen? Well, nobody was hurt, and the building didn't crumble. Hmm. There must be a clear emphasis here that God is divinely intervening on miraculously saving them, bringing about Paul and Silas's freedom, which provided a stronger basis for their witnessing when they were praising and trusting God. And I can't help but think that how Paul and Silas responded in the midst of severe suffering by thanking God, by praying and worshiping and trusting Him, maybe played a part in God performing this miracle. Now, to be true to Scripture, I can't say that definitively, but there appears to be a correlation between them praying and praising and trusting God and God miraculously intervening. And maybe, perhaps, God is moved by our faith. Next, next slide. God is moved by our faith, and when we earnestly and humbly seek Him, we reveal our desperate need for God to intervene. Maybe God is impressed by our faith. Maybe God is impressed when we express and when we earnestly and humbly seek Him for God to intervene. Our passage of scripture for this series has been 1 Chronicles 7.14 that says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then, God says, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek, pray, trust God. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, the jailer initially thought that the prisoners had escaped. You see, the jailer, in our passage of Scripture, when he saw the doors open in verse 27, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. In those hard times, if a prisoner had escaped, the guard would pay for it by their life. And I find it interesting how Paul responded by extending compassion to the jailer the same jailer who mistreated him, the same jailer who threw them into prison, the same jailer who put shackles and chains around their legs. Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Paul extended compassion. He did not repay an eye for an eye, but he treated others how he would want to be treated. And earlier... I mentioned, are we willing to persevere and thank and trust God if he could use our sufferings to help others? Are we willing to persevere through the hard times in life? Well, what I find interesting in this passage of scripture is that the breakthrough wasn't how God miraculously saved Paul and Silas. The real breakthrough in this passage of scripture was how the jailer and his entire household came to faith Jesus. That was the real breakthrough. In response to the miracle, the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And he was filled with joy. Why? Because he had come to believe in Jesus. He and his entire household. No doubt the jailer heard Paul and Silas praying and praising God in the midst of hard times. No doubt that how Paul and Silas treated him, instead of repaying him for how they were treated, 
and of course the miracle of how the prison doors flew open and the chains came loose reinforce that God saves. And here's the final point. Don't underestimate how our example can impact others coming to faith in Jesus. Don't underestimate how our example can impact others coming to faith in Jesus. So let's recap. What have we been talking about? Well, our first point was that Christians are not exempt from suffering. And if I was to boil down the first point, this is what it would be. Trust in God's ability and his character that he has a plan and he can use our pain for a greater purpose. Our second point was that praise God in the midst of suffering. If I was to boil it down, it would be this. Focus on praising God rather than on the problem. And when we do, we experience peace. And our third and final point is that we can trust a miracle working God. God is moved by our faith. And when we humbly seek him, we can trust him for the solution. I'm here to tell you, don't give up on God. That's what Satan wants. Don't give up on God. Seek him through prayer and praise. Express your trust and your thanks in who God is. Remind your head and your heart who God is. And when we do, we can trust that a breakthrough is coming. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. And I can't help but think that in a group this size, Lord, that some of us are probably going through some pretty hard and difficult times. And at times, Lord, praying and praising and trusting in you is incredibly difficult. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us a garment of praise rather than a spirit of despair. Help us, Lord, to express our trust in you. Help us, Lord, to rely upon our family and our friends that at times, Lord, when it's so hard we can't even do it, we have other people who can do it on our behalf. Lord, this is what the church is all about, Lord. Relying upon one another, serving together, walking arms in arms. And so, Jesus, I pray for your church. I pray for a breakthrough in Jesus' name, Lord. What Satan intended to harm, Lord, that you would turn it around and use it for good. Help us to trust you. Help us to praise you. Help us to look to you in all seasons of life. Lord, your grace is sufficient. Fill your people, Lord, as we pour ourselves out, Lord. May you pour yourself in. And we'll make sure to give you the praise and thanks that you're due. And all God's people said, Amen.